Welcome back to another episode of The Cast of Us, an untitled HBO The Last of Us podcast for episode six, Kin, directed by Yasmila Zibanich and written by Craig Mazin. Eric, I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside that man I already started to introduce, but he's tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, it's, it's, it's only been... It's a Sunday night, and uh, Sunday. it's almost like this is our second episode we've recorded today, and I already butchered the intro, but how are you? You know what? That's not the worst thing we could have done, and, and reintroducing you know, the intro is uh, a strange way to do it, but not a bad way to do it. You're sipping some tea. I'm sipping some tea. Sunday night sipping. You know, it's we'll all good. Spill the tea on this episode of The Last of Us. Yeah. Be careful, Eric. The only people that can betray us are the ones we trust. Yes, we Should are I give talking you a haircut about now or something. We're uh, yeah, I probably need. One. I actually do need a haircut. Um, it's not that bad. That's one thing that I much like. If I was in a uh, you know end of the world situation, I'd probably still get my haircut as often as I do now. I just wait and leave it until it's just absolutely haggard, and then I finally go. One thing, like I love my barber. I found a guy that I I, I really like, but. It's just something I hate doing is getting a haircut. So I relate to Ellie in this episode. But Eric, uh, it's Sunday night, 10 p.m. Eastern. We're back at our regularly scheduled time. Same same last time, same last channel um, with a recap review and breakdown of The Last of Us. Uh, apologies that we were a week late with episode five. Uh, I went on vacation. They dropped the episode early. Eric and I have both been dealing with some health stuff. We're okay. Don't worry. Um, but we did do episode five. It is now available for you guys to listen to or watch on YouTube and podcast services. So uh, if you're wondering, hey, uh, where was last week's episode? Well, we did a double episode Sunday. So we posted episode uh, five just a couple hours ago uh, leading up to episode six. And now we are back at our normal time. At 10 p.m. Eastern every Sunday, we will have a new episode for you guys. So do not worry; we will not, we will not miss another one. Uh, so that's our bad. But uh, it's really be the Super Bowl's fault, right? Yeah, really, Super yeah, Super Bowls, the Super, Super Bowls, Bowls fault. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you can tell. <laughs> There's a football a in Super, there. <laughs> Super Bowl fan. Uh, speaking of the Super Bowl, we uh, broke down all the new trailers from the big game on the newest episode of the Untitled Movie Podcast. Go check that out. And we also have an Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania review. So go check that out. Spoiler Drop free. us a like on YouTube, uh, a review on iTunes, or not iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Uh, all those good things really help us out. But today, episode six, like I mentioned, Eric, I will kick it over to you. What did you think of tonight's episode of The Last of Us? Okay, well, I'm just going to break this down and put it very plainly. A superb showcase for Pedro Pascal. I think this is his episode. I really do. Yeah, he's absolutely fantastic. Um, I was wondering what they were going to do after, you know, last week's episode with, you know, ending, unfortunately, with, you know, uh, Henry shooting himself, which we unfortunately had to uh, relive again at the beginning of this episode. And this plays out pretty similarly as it does in the game. I mentioned that there was that little after that sequence with them burying the bodies and Ellie putting the I'm sorry down on the on Sam's writing toy um but we do get the time jump here which is exactly kind of what we get in the game where we're now in winter um and i you know lots of stuff in this episode i i agree with you i think it's pedro pascal's episode dealing with kind of uh 
you know, Joel's anxieties and him as kind of this broken man, both mentally and physically. Um, I think all the stuff in Jackson is fantastic, which is obviously you can tell now for fans of the games, um, all of the Jackson stuff, not in the first game. Jackson was something that was set up in the second game. Um, so I think now with them having the context of, of both games and, and making both games and having someone like Craig Mazin come in and take a look at both games and see, okay, if we were able to redo this, would we set things up earlier? Would we show things earlier? Would we change things? And I think they're making great choices when it comes to the changes, because in the original game, they meet Tommy at the dam. The dam is only referenced here, where in the original game, that's where Tommy and his group is, is at the dam trying to get it up and running and doing that. They're not in Jackson at that point. Um, they meet Maria and, and Tommy at the dam, uh, but Jackson plays an integral part in The Last of Us Part Two, with no spoilers, that we don't spoil anything future on this show. But I like that change of setting up Jackson and having that cohesive kind of thing and if you're a fan of the second game you you notice locations you see in the second game and not necessarily characters but you go oh, okay like they're setting up you know the house and the the dining hall and all the different parts of uh, of jackson which i think from a as as well as like a set piece and a, a set design this town with the mountains in the background just absolutely gorgeous um but yeah i think um Again, I mentioned this in the last episode, but I'm always so impressed with how much they jam pack in to like 55 minutes of television because like for this to do, you know, all the Graham Greene stuff, Canadian legend Graham Greene at the beginning, which is all new, which is phenomenal. Um, then you have them, the whole Jackson segment. Then you have the whole University of Colorado segment at the end. And I know that's kind of like three acts sort of, but like... It, there's so much that they put into this as, as well as that cliffhanger at the end with Joel being stabbed and and everything in between with the monkeys and, and Joel and Ellie bonding, the hugely dramatic moment at the house, which is ripped straight from the game with where you know Ellie finds out about Sarah and brings that up to Joel. And then there's that moment, which is like, it is an actor's showpiece for Pedro Pascal, which has been for this whole show. But this episode specifically feels like him dealing with, you know, everything to do with Sarah and all those anxiety attacks he's been having his body breaking down, his reuniting with his brother, his brother hiding things from him, uh, his brother's wife kind of not wanting him to be involved with him anymore. And like everything Joel has to deal with, especially with the stuff with Ellie as well. It's like, yeah, I, I thought it was another excellent episode. And as a fan of the game, seeing them try to have that connective tissue between the first and second games even more and how they're going to incorporate that into the show. You can see that they're already looking ahead of what, and we know a second season has been announced, which will adapt at least part of part two, because part two, the game is very large, but then kind of putting Jackson in here earlier, which makes so much more sense, um, I, I think is great. So I think another fantastic episode. Yeah, it's it's one of those episodes again where it does feel like there are some payoffs to certain aspects of this season that was started in episodes one and two, and specifically the relationship between Joel and Tommy and that reuniting under you know uh, duress and sort of seeing where their lives have kind of diverged over you know the period before outbreak day and now where they are as as people and 
you know, how we've seen or, or, or at least interpreted Tommy as somebody from Joel's point of view. And now we're seeing Tommy in, in, in a bit of a new light, um, but also in a way that was still apt in describing him as kind of, you know, somebody who is a little bit wayward, who would join up and sign up for things and not necessarily think them through. And, and sometimes that would get him in trouble. And that's where Joel always kind of felt like he needed to be Tommy's protector. And you can kind of see that strain in a couple of scenes between Pedro Pascal and Gabriel Luna, where, you know, like after Sarah died, it's almost like Tommy became the surrogate child to Joel in that manner. And so it's that reflection of even in the last episode that we reviewed, where I think Joel probably saw a lot of himself in Henry, in that Henry, you know, became a father figure to Sam. And obviously, Sam still a child where Tommy is a grown man, but Tommy has a childlike still baby brother, right? quality yeah. to him, right? Where it's almost like the big brother has to protect the, the younger brother. And especially in times of, and the uh, younger brother is a follower too, sometimes. Too, yes. Right? Yeah. And so it's like, I'm always going to have to like, you know, protect you from that world. And, and, and again, the loss of Sarah probably even made that more almost, um, almost a, a kind of suffocating kind of way where it's like Tommy needed maybe his space and Joel was always, you know, there. And you get that sense watching those couple of scenes where, you know, in Jackson, there's kind of a, a, a heartfelt reunion, but then it turns into animosity and tension. And especially with the reveal that Tommy's going to be a father and kind of that, feeling of 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 Joel being both maybe a little bit jealous and envious of of what Tommy has or what it, Tommy is going to have and what Joel you know misses in his life um and then also just the feeling of like you know maybe not getting the respect that he feels that Tommy owes him because of all the things he did for Tommy, all the sacrifices he made, all the things that he had to do for them in order to survive. And but then um, how Maria perceives it too, of like the horrible things that she kind of Joel made Tommy do or whatever. Because yeah. Again, but, him. but Tommy's a grown man and, and yeah, made totally. his decisions. And that's kind of where I really like, you know, the kind of defensiveness of Ellie in this episode, because mm-hmm. I feel like, Ellie, you know, that put upon kind of acting older than you are and being a bit of a smart aleck um, can sometimes be grating. But I think here it works really well because for the majority of this episode, she always comes to Joel's defense. And especially yeah. when she sees hypocrisy and sees like, oh, well, you know, you're you're saying this about Joel, but at the same time, you know, Tommy was complicit and a part of a lot of these acts of violence towards innocent people. So you can't just simply say that it was all Joel's fault. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Totally agree, man. The Maria pregnancy is completely new to the show as well, which I think is interesting. Um, that's not in the games. Um, yeah. A lot of differences here with pushing up Jackson so much earlier, like a lot of this stuff still happens like that big, 
conversation between Joel and Ellie in the in the bedroom still happens, but it happens in a different place and different things like that. So uh, we'll get through it step by step and, and scene by scene, and I'll kind of break it down as we kind of go through. But let's get right into it. Um, the episode begins with a title sequence again, no cold open. Um, we do get a little bit of a, you know, uh, a flashback, like I mentioned of Henry shooting himself again. Unfortunately, like we have to relive that again, but it's to show the context of it is now three months later. It is winter. Um, that winter is coming past since. Yeah. Winter has came. Um, <laughs> let winter come. Um, and then, uh, so, <laughs> Three months have passed uh, since Henry, that moment between Henry and Sam and Joel and Ellie, um, were shown a cabin as a man walks up with a bow and arrow with his hood up and a couple dead rabbits at his waist. It looks like it could be Joel, but doesn't quite look like him. Um, we enter the cabin, the man re- pulls down his hood like this amazing reveal, and it's Canadian legend Graham Greene. <laughs> Gruff like, Graham yeah. Greene. <laughs> yeah. I love Graham Greene, dude. So, like, oh, he's great. It's, it, I, it's just so wonderful to see, and I know you're a big fan of this too, when stuff shot in Canada. Not that Graham Greene only does Canadian things, but... But he's a uh, Canadian actor, like, so... Yeah, so it's always great to see, you know, uh, these... Canadian actors pop up in these character bit role, not bit roles, but like small guest roles. And like, especially cause it's just this one scene and it's so great with him and his uh, wife. I don't know the actress who played his wife. I'm sorry, Eric, if you have that, um, I will but, look that up as you are talking, um, Matt. Yeah, no worries. So, uh, Graham green goes in and he looks at this other woman across from him cautiously as she doesn't say anything. He starts to remove his jacket. Uh, Joel then appears from the other room and tells the man to take out his gun and put it on the table. Uh, um, Elaine miles, Elaine miles. She's fantastic too. Um, so Joel appears from the other room and tells Graham green that I'm just going to call him Graham green to pull out his gun and put it on the table. Uh, the woman asks why, or sorry, Graham green asked the woman why he didn't shoot him. And there's a hilarious line of like, the gun was all the way over there. <laughs> I was like, it's perfect. <laughs> and then, um, and then he goes, you made him soup. And then, uh, she's like, it was cold. Uh, like, and I just love this, like casual nature of this whole conversation. You know what um, it's basically like, like, it's, it's like you're watching a Coen brothers movie all of a sudden. I, dude, I thought the same thing, like no country for old men kind of thing. Right. That like, kind of deadpan um, kind of weirdly, humorous but also still the threat of violence or uncertainty within the scene really works and a thing that i really love that i didn't notice until the second watch of it and just something that graham green like i mean an amazing actor oscar nominee you know always wonderful to see him um but something that he does that i thought was just such a little touch of of, of genius that might kind of you know you might look past is when joel tells his character to put the gun down to use the two fingers and he kind of lifts it out of his side and he kind of does this weird kind of like smile thing. And like that, that kind of just that facial expression that he gives is incredible. (laughs) No, it's just his face and all of this, like looking back and forth at them and stuff like that is fantastic. Um, So the woman mentions it was cold and that Joel didn't hurt her. Um, So that's why she made them soup. 
uh, Joel mentions to Graham Greene that he's looking for his brother. Uh, Graham Greene goes, I haven't seen him right away. And Joel's like, I haven't even told you what he looks like. And he goes, does he look like you? And he's like, kind of. He's like, then I haven't seen him. <laughs> I'm like, it's perfect. <laughs> it's like so pitch perfect. Um, and then the woman goes, there's a girl upstairs. And then Joel kind of like looks around. Um, and then Ellie comes downstairs with her gun drawn and is kind of uh, giving attitude to the uh, this older couple. And I love the line, like, who's this little psycho? <laughs> like, this is great. And I'm like, this is perfect. Um, so Joel then goes, he he's obviously lost and doesn't know where they are. So uh, he pulls out a map and asks the man where they are and, and points at the map. And he says, it better be the same answer as your wife. Um I love the back and forth between Graham Greene and his wife here where he goes, did you tell them the truth? And then she goes, yeah. And he goes, are you telling me the truth? truth?" (laughs) And she goes, yeah. And I'm like, it's perfect. (laughs) Like it's such a husband wife kind of thing of like, it's just this whole scene is the, I guess the, greatest moment of levity in this whole show so far even though like you, you need said, it, it too like, after what you've seen yeah. right you need this yeah, little they re-show moment. you the henry and sam thing right yeah um it's such a, a moment of levity while still having like you said that coen brothers-esque like you know joel's not gonna hurt them or ellie's not gonna hurt them but like because we know these characters but the threat is still there for you know, this older couple, even though they're also not threatened by them. Like he's probably seen enough. They've seen enough that they know Joel is probably not going to do anything to them. Like probably, right? Like that's why they're so nonchalant about the whole thing. Um, Although he does, you know, tell him the truth and things like that. So the man points at a location. Joel looks super annoyed. Um, And then the man says that anywhere people used to be so he mentions wind river reservation uh he mentions a couple other areas he says like it's riddled with infected like anywhere there used to be people it's riddled with infected so then joel um mentions like well you found a good place to uh, to hide then and then he's like sunny i've been here before you were born <laughs> he's like he's the like, sunny line is amazing uh, <laughs> Uh, is great and then he i love the also thing of him just being like i didn't want to be around people and then his wife going i didn't or whatever (laughs) she's like i didn't want to move out here and then like there's no response um i thought that was great um ellie then asks about fireflies another funny line of going saying that (laughs) they get them in the summer summer. and then she's like no the people and then she's like there are firefly people (laughs) and then they like she starts laughing and i just love how again not serious they're taking this whole thing and they're just kind of like let's give them the information and get them out of here kind of thing um and then you get the great line again this whole scene is just fantastic of joel going uh i need some advice about going west and then graham green goes yeah go east it's such a classic cliched kind of thing but um i think it's just the the delivery on all of these lines is just absolutely fantastic um, and I love that open, they, like you already mentioned it, but like that tracking shot of, of, of green coming into the house, you know, just, just a, 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 a simple shot, but so immersive in that moment of, you know, going from, you know, seeing this character enter the frame and then enter into the cabin with, you know, these rabbits on the side that he's been hunting. And then he puts them down outside of the, the cabin and enters in 
and and sort of sets that scene up so beautifully and then yeah you just like that this one moment it's 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 fleeting and obviously you know the levity is is appreciated especially because of what you've seen in that past episode and and to your point what you've been just reminded of um but it never feels like it cuts the tension or it never gets in the way of of building a moment because you still feel that there could be a potential because of the world we've seen already you know everybody's out for themselves but then there's also this kind of uh idiosyncratic quality to the characters and to the idea of being you know on your own and isolated for so long and and probably you know living this life of 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 solitude for the most part that is um you know, such a perfect moment to kind of relish in before we really get to it's, it, it's, it's a perfect kind of prologue in a way for this episode. Um, and again, like Graham, Graham Greene's just one of those guys, like every time he shows up in something, he's always good. And like um, the red green show, even that like terrible show. Um, <laughs> and, and, and like, but like I mean, anytime he he pops up at anything, like he is like even like something like Die Hard three, Die Hard with a Vengeance, um, small role, but he makes an impact, and he doesn't necessarily like steal it from anybody else. And even even you know like him mentioning Wind River, you know like that he was in that movie with with, yeah, with Jeremy yeah. Renner, and you, you know like again a small performance but a memorable one, and and he's just one of those working character actors that. Um, I don't think gets enough credit. I just think he's just one of those guys that is just always good. And then Elaine Miles as well, like that that you know rapport between the two um, as a lived in married couple is is just perfect. And and they're both amazing together in this scene. And again, it just kind of feels like this is weirdly a moment that's kind of hopeful. Like this is like the the most you could hope for if if you lived through you know a pandemic or an apocalypse is that you would have this kind of normalcy because it does feel very yeah. um, uh, heartfelt in a weird way. Uh, I, I would describe it almost as just kind of warm. <laughs> I agree, man. Like, and it, it again, I'm, something I mentioned on the last episode of if they ever do a spinoff, you could do an episode on them. And I think it could be just very chill and funny, right? Like just between this married couple that's living through this pandemic or, or you know epidemic uh you know uh, outbreak kind of end of the world kind of thing and just them living in this remote cabin and learning about the river of death and things like that and i i think could be kind of a fun thing if you decided to do an anthology series with like some characters we've seen before some we haven't some that were referenced some completely new like i would i would watch a whole episode of these two just kind of hanging out with nothing happen like make it like a happy episode <laughs> like make it like just them chilling and being a married couple and just living i think it would be great or the um, red green show within the last of us sure red greens yeah. up to, that's what everyone wants you know duct taping <laughs> i hope all of his is uh hey there's some duct tape and, in this episode so yep. maybe that's a red green at reference so um we'll have to see uh i highly doubt that but i went to a live taping of red green once did you oh, know God, that Matt. no <laughs> i hated red green but like so my bad. friend my my friend uh dan dan witt loved red green so i went to cbc multiple times to see a recording of the red green show so did you laugh at all um, i can't remember 
but I hope um, you didn't. <laughs> I hope I didn't either. Uh, so then uh, basically they mention that there is this river, the river of death, and they say, do not go west of the river. They mentioned if Joel's brother is west of that river, that he is gone. They mentioned piles of bodies that are both uh, infected and non-infected that are dead um, across this river. And they have no idea who's out there and who's doing this to people. Um, so especially when they mention his brother, Tommy, this kind of like affects Joel and you can kind of see him again in the internalized performance from Pedro Pascal be kind of affected by that. Um, they then leave the cabin, uh, Ellie steals one of the rabbits, uh, and then Joel, it seems like he's either having heart problems or what it looks like is anxiety or a panic attack, uh, in this moment uh, for anyone who's experienced that you kind of, uh, understand what Joel's going through where it seems like whenever now, uh, his self doubt or, uh, when he thinks he's not you know, performing in the way that he should essentially, or being a good protector, any of this stuff, he starts to get scared and have a panic attack, um, which I think is interesting. That is, is definitely not a part of the game. Uh, so a little bit more nuanced uh, uh, from the performance for Joel in this. Um, Joel recovers, but then Ellie leads them towards the river of death. Um we get a montage of Joel and Ellie hiking through the cold wilderness to Gustavo Santiolala's amazing score. Great um, dissolve as well with the landscape. Yeah. Like there's a, there's just a simple shot of a, a, a wide where you see them kind of walking across and then it kind of dissolves into, you know, the, the sun going further down and them, you know, further along. And it's just like, again, like those, a shot like that perfectly conveys that Western theme you know, especially in this episode. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Cinematography is great here. So it's just a quick little montage. Uh, they get to a river, uh, which they believe is the river of death. And then Joel mentions that they should camp in some caves. Uh, Ellie wants Joel to teach her how to catch some rabbits. Um, because he, he mentions like we can get our own rabbits because they already ate the other one. Um, as they're camping, Joel's trying to fix his boot with some duct tape. There you go. Red, green shout out. Um, and then, uh, Ellie's looking at the Northern lights from atop a, uh, large rock. Um, Joel's drinking from, he tells Ellie to get down or she'll break her neck. Um, showing that he, you know, ultimately he still needs, he needs to get her there in one piece, but it is that kind of fatherly kind of thing coming through. Uh, Joel's drinking from his flask. Uh, Ellie asks if she can have some to warm up. Again, he reluctantly abides. So it seems like he, anytime Ellie asks him for something, he originally doesn't want to do it, but then usually gives in to her. So he gives her a sip of his whiskey or whatever's in there. Um, Ellie kind of goes there and says like still gross. And then, uh, which I get, I get it. Um, Ellie asks Joel what he's going to do after they get her to the fireflies and they take her blood and they make a cure from her blood. Um, and Joel says he would like to have a ranch and raise some sheep. Um, a nice, simple life from Joel. Cause they're Ellie obedient. Pokes, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that is good. Uh, Ellie kind of pokes fun at that. And then Joel asks Ellie what she's going to do. Uh, and she looks up at the stars and specifically the moon. Um, she mentions to Joel how she's read basically every book she could about astronauts and space and probably the moon landing and things like that. 
And then he goes, uh, let me guess, who's your favorite uh, astronaut? And then she's, is it Sally Ride? Is that Sally Ride? Yeah, Sally fucking Ride. And I was like, it's just, it's perfect. So she talks about how much she kind of loves astronauts and loves space, which is, again, them, uh, a new, I don't know if this conversation is in part one, but Ellie loving space and the stars and and astronauts is uh, something from the games, I will say. Um, Ellie questions if she'll really be the cure and then uh, tells Joel about how she tried to save Sam, which is the moment we mentioned at the end of the last episode where she cut her hand open and tried to heal Sam, essentially. Uh, Joel says it'll be a lot more complicated than that and says Marlene... Marlene's smart and would know if they can make a cure from her or not. Um, Joel then tells Ellie to get some sleep and that he'll take both watches overnight. And then he says, dream of sheep ranches on the moon. Yep. Um, We cut to the next morning where Joel is asleep and wakes up in a panic. Ellie says he fell asleep and she woke up early and took second watch. Um, Joel kind of gets upset and says that she should have woken him up. But Ellie says that she's more than capable because Joel taught her what to do, um, which is a great little moment of like, you know, he still wants to protect this girl, but he's still shown her what to do. And she's shown that she is more than capable by saving him on multiple occasions. And now, you know, being able to do the watch, she lists off all the things she was supposed to do and shows that she can shoot a gun and all this kind of stuff. So um, I think a great little moment. Yeah. Um, check check your six, find high ground, um, look for tracks. And then it's also just important to see like when Joel wakes up, you know, that, that wear and tear that we've been seeing in the last few episodes now of him not being able to detect somebody, you know, coming from behind because he's starting to lose his hearing, but then also him not, being able to necessarily wake up right away when somebody might be um, about to, um, you know, ransack him or, 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 you know, point at, have a gun, a, a gun point. So it's like those moments I think are, are starting to really show a lot more. And just even in this scene where, you know, he wakes up startled partly because, you know, he was supposed to take a shift, but then also, you know, we'll learn in this episode that he's having these nightmares that he can't remember, but he it's always basically he's losing something. And mm-hmm. so that's also a, a really important little detail with his character in this episode. Absolutely. Um, so Joel and Ellie then cross what they think is the river of death. Cautiously, they go over a bridge, but then they're confused why there are no people or why they called it the river of death, because it doesn't seem like it's that scary or that there's any people there. They continue down with um, uh, this little montage. Ellie's trying to learn how to whistle um, and she doesn't know how to. Um, Ellie then asks Joel to teach her how to hunt. Uh, Ellie makes a joke. It's because she's a girl that Joel thinks that she can't handle it. Uh, but Joel mentions it's because he knows that she could shoot properly, but doesn't think she could handle dressing the animal. And there's a cute conversation about 
why do they call it dressing when it's like dressing is when you remove the guts of a, of an animal and clean it out. Um, should be undressing. Like, it should be called undressing, which is great. Yeah. Um, she also mentions that the water, it's crazy blue for the river. Yeah. It was funny. Yeah, Cause it was, it was a good. line. Yeah, Cause it was blue. a line. The first time we heard it, that it was kind of um, off camera. And again, going back to this episode, now that it's finished, when we first watched it, Matt and I, a lot of the ADR. Um, oh, was, was this one of the ones temp. where the ADR wasn't finished? Yeah. 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 yeah it was. <laughs> that's always been funny. We've, we've watched a few shows with unfinished ADR and special effects. Uh, Moon Knight was the other one. And I feel like there's Ted Lasso. Pam and Tommy. Uh, Pam and Tommy had really bad ADR at some point. Where it's not, it's not really bad ADR. It's just temp ADR. Yeah. So it sounds so jarring because it's just an editor or, or, you know, someone just inserting it. Um, with their own voice just to kind of have temp audio in there and it's very jarring and funny and there's other moments we'll get to later in the series that were very funny the first time where i can't wait to see the finished version <laughs> of them um so anyways uh yeah they approach a dam ellie makes a damn pun which is great a damn good pun um so this is basically in the game this is where they meet tommy and maria and that's where Tommy is set up with his people trying to get this dam running properly. But they've kind of in the show pushed that up that they've already dealt with the dam a couple years ago and that Jackson is already uh, set up, which I really like because in the game there there's not that much time in between. There's a you know a few years in between part one and part two, but Jackson and and how Tommy is in Jackson like is. Uh, I like that they pushed that up earlier is what I'm saying. Um, so where am I here? Sorry, I lost my part. We're at the dam oh, and now we're moving yeah. into the horseback to riders the, coming in. Yes. So then they approach a new river and Ellie asks, what if this is actually the river of death? And then right on cue, a group on horseback approach them with guns. I think this is, uh, perfect storytelling in the sense of what made that whole Graham Greene sequence at the beginning so worth it because they set up the river of death so perfectly and um, basically who could be across that river of death? Who are these people who are littering uh, the the shore side with bodies to show like don't come on to this side kind of thing? And so like it really sets them up as a threat. So you are threatened in this moment. Like I think people from the gate who are fans of the games because they moved things around it even subs subverts your expectations a little bit because I don't think you're expecting Jackson, but you know, the dam involves Tommy. So you kind of understand what's going on, but um, I think they do a really great job of just setting these people up as a threat. Um, so they take out a, like a, a infected sniffing dog essentially, um, they bring out a good boy and the good boy is just going to sniff them for, um, for inf if they're infected. So the dog, basically they draw guns on them. They say, stand the fuck back. Like, and this dog will rip you apart if it smells that you're infected. So they send the dog out to Joel, the, the dog sniffs Joel, um, and then comes back and Joel is clean. 
um, you can now see they, they do this tinnitus kind of ringing for Joel whenever he's experiencing one of his kind of uh, anxiety attacks, which is just a sound cue to show that he's basically going through what he did before whenever he becomes overwhelmed or filled with anxiety or is having an anxiety attack, tinnitus being like a ringing noise. You'd, you'd know it if you heard it. It's just that dull ringing that people have in their ears. So they use that as kind of like a tell for Joel. So as the dog is going to sniff Ellie, um, again, if I'm going to criticize anything like we did with the last episode with the villain Kathleen like holding the gun, it's the dog growling at Ellie and then, oh, the dog just wanted to play with her and lick her kind of thing. It's just yeah. like it it's convenient and like it, for the storytelling, just for like to make it more suspenseful because um, it didn't do suspenseful because it didn't do that with Joel, right? So for it not to smell it on Ellie, but then maybe it kind of did, but then ultimately didn't is just like I don't know. Not the best, I, I would say. Like if I'm gonna criticize something from this uh sequence. Um it's very television-y, I guess, is the one moment where it breaks my immersion and the groundedness of it all, where I go, okay, that's something someone wrote in a script to make it more suspenseful that doesn't necessarily feel super believable. Yeah. Um, uh, so the dog growls at Ellie, uh, but then ends up just like licking her and, and, and you know, uh, basically being cuddly with her. Um so we do get that shot of Joel being anxious and that anxiety and the ringing coming back. Um, but Joel mentions that he's just looking for his brother. Uh, so a woman from the back who looks badass as hell with her cowboy hat and her scarf over, like she looks incredible, comes up and then pulls down her thing and says, uh, what's his name? And he says, Joel. So then we cut to this group taking Joel and Ellie to a gigantic large wall and gate. Uh, they lead them inside where it's a community of people living in a walled in town. The set design, I think here is, for Jackson uh, or what we learned to be Jackson is fantastic. Whether they found this town or built this town, it looks like they built it because I've been seeing some behind the scenes stuff from uh, the even Boulder, right? Bolter is his name. Uh, cinematographer. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, um, uh, Evan um, Bolter on Twitter. Evan but he didn't shoot on, this episode though that's the no he didn't but one. he's i i I agree I, I or i know that but what i'm saying is like i've just been seeing people who worked on the show yeah. share behind the scenes things and not necessarily about jackson but i saw him share that they built like uh, bill and frank's town and stuff like that like they're building these like full towns for this show and it just shows you the budget that they have so i wouldn't be surprised if they just found this scenic I don't know whether the mountains are, are CG or not, but like, um, I don't think well, there they was, were. there, there was some actual... augmentation though, because again, watching yeah. it when it wasn't finished, where like the, had the, some green screen and stuff, right? Yeah. Again, for like the establishing shots and sort of like the, the, the further sort of backdrops of, of, of Jackson, you know, but, but yeah, a lot of it is tactile. It's practical. Um, the set design and, and the production of it is all, um, in camera and and lived in and you get the sense of the community as you're coming into it and experiencing it from the point of view of Joel and Ellie for the first time that it's kind of a system that weirdly works and one joke that's coming up or I don't know if it's even a joke but like there's an interesting kind of thing where they've repurposed a lot of the town and sort of made it work for this almost well I mean they they 
you know, uh, Marie says that it's 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 a communist community. Communism. Yeah, yeah. But one of the funniest things about this, and I think again going back to the the last episode, even um, you mentioned with uh, the Bank of America kind of being the 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 way into the tunnels. Um, in this, they mentioned that the the town bank has been um, refurbished or kind of uh, renovated to be the jail that jail. they never use. But it's just funny thinking about how in a dystopian society, the the most useless thing uh, is that a <laughs> is a bank, and especially when it's something in a modern world that we live in, is so um, you know dominating and and controlling. Money's them. imaginary, dude. Money's yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, like, it. as soon as the, the one good thing about this dystopian world is that the banks are have no power over people anymore. And we finally <laughs> became communists. Yeah, <laughs> I love that line. We'll get there, but like that whole thing with Joel and Tommy there is perfect, especially because they're both like Texan and like it's just it's amazing. Uh, but we'll get there in a second. So uh, at this moment, uh, Joel sees Tommy and just such a great you know moment between these two characters and two actors like we haven't seen tommy since that first episode right like it's been flashback too yeah and so just that moment of them reuniting with tommy and then them like (laughs) hugging and the performance of like them together i think is so wonderful um I love the moment from Ellie as well, though, because they, again, talk about internalized performance. I think this show does such a great job with, you know, showing, not telling sometimes where, you know, it doesn't need to spoon feed you everything. But even that reaction shot on Ellie where she's like happy for Joel, but there is that sadness there that Joel has now found his real family or his purpose of like what he was trying to do, which was to try and find his brother. And Ellie realized that she's not his only kind of thing anymore not to just say thing but you know what i mean by that right like you know at that point it was just joel and ellie right where now joel has his brother has his true family his purpose uh from the beginning was just to get the tommy right it wasn't to bring ellie um have a good workout nevis love you um and then uh i I love that moment just on her face of how she's she's not necessarily like super happy about the the moment and you can see it on Bella Ramsey's kind of performance which I think is great. Um where are we now? Uh cut to inside the dining hall. Again, this dining hall, what they're doing of bringing Jackson to life it looks so much like the game. Um, which is amazing. Like if anyone remembers the first teaser or one of the first teasers to the last of us part two, it takes place in this, uh, you know, uh, dining hall where they're having a dance and they have the string lights and stuff. And it's just like, again, that's not spoiling anything, but like, it's just, it's, I love the setup that we're getting. So when you get to part two, you don't have to now establish Jackson as well. Like you've already done that. Right. So I think that's great. Um, so they're having lunch and it even looks like pumpkin pie. Oh yeah. There's (laughs) pumpkin pie on that table. Oh yeah. I'm like, hell yeah. They like, I could only imagine Ellie and, uh, just fucking couldn't even imagine what that meal would be like for her. Well, it's, it's Christmas Uh, time. Right. And like, it's like the holiday season, but it also does feel like it could have been maybe just past Thanksgiving. 
as well. Yeah. So it probably and it shows you that some normalcy is happening in like it could be November, like you're you're saying with American Thanksgiving, right? So like, and there's Christmas lights on a lot of the trees, and it shows you that you know things are sort of normal in Jackson, right? Like they're trying to go about life um, and try to restart and just, you know, sure it's back to maybe the, the origins of, of frontier times. Yeah. Frontier times. Yeah. That's a great point. That's exactly what I was thinking. Right. It's just like um, yet adding in a little communist kind of tinge to it all, not even tinge, just uh um, I love that. So then Ellie doesn't have good table manners here. She's just swearing and kind of, you know, acting again, like we've mentioned, like where she's around a group of adults, she acts a little bit different than when she acted with Sam and things like that. But she's um, also more defensive, like you were saying before, because of Tommy coming back into the picture and kind of maybe feeling a little bit apprehensive towards him, um, sort of maybe stealing some of Joel's attention and then also you know, these characters who are judging Joel and sort of, you know, maybe a little bit standoffish with him now, but at the same time realizing that, you know, Ellie's perspective of Joel is that El- that Ellie's been protected by Joel. And so this whole experience that she's had with him and she does know the truth as well, other than the, the exception of knowing really anything about Sarah, which she will learn in this episode, um, has been for the most part, a positive one, or at least an honest one. Um, And so she's almost, again, a little bit on edge because of, of Tommy being back in the picture, but also of the way that Joel maybe is being judged by um, his new sister-in-law and his brother. So, you know, like that is an interesting kind of, moment again in terms of just acting as well from Bella Ramsey where she's doing multiple things at once right like it's it's both being a child or an adolescent pretending that they're an adult being defensive in a new environment and unsure of things and then also kind of being a little bit more confrontational with um, people that are seemingly at least one of them is more close to um, Joel and I really also like the way that Joel is very polite with Maria, but is still kind of, again, you know, formal in that like sense of always calling her ma'am and, you know, asking for um, some privacy for family interaction and things like that. And just like that's that that Texan quality, I think, is coming out here quite a bit. Absolutely. Uh, There's a moment where a kid is like staring at Ellie and Ellie just goes, what? And I'm like, it felt really weirdly out of place. But like, I, I, I don't know if just Ellie coming in and they go, Oh, well kids around here don't act like you do or kind of thing. And I'm like, did they get enough of that in this little moment that like the kids would be like, I guess, you know, you're a curious kid. You see a new kid come in. They probably don't get very many outsiders. I'm assuming like coming into Jackson they are very protective of who they who they let in obviously which we learn about a little bit later but I just felt like a weirdly out of place moment but um funny kind of too yeah um Ellie Ellie gives some attitude uh to Maria and and Tommy saying like what about the 90 year olds that are terrified of you um and Maria 
responds with like sometimes a bad reputation doesn't mean you're bad or something like that. No, that was Tommy that says that though. Tommy, Tommy says that like a bad a bad reputation doesn't necessarily mean you're bad, but you also kind of have to maintain a kind of um, you know like there's there's this conversation and it'll get further into it, but you know, they're kind of living off the grid, you know, they're, I mean, it's also kind of funny thinking, saying that line because of Terminator and, and Gabriel Luna being in Terminator Dark Fate. Um, I but yeah, but um, the idea of, you know, why Tommy never got in touch with Joel and, and never via radio. And um, so now you're starting to see that maybe there's also a little bit of, of resentment and hostility in Joel, the way that Ellie's acting towards um, Tommy and and Maria, and there's a little bit of, of a, a standoffish vibe because it's like, well, I'm your brother. We've known each other for our, our whole lives. Why didn't you just even say like, hey, I'm say find a way to yeah. do something, like to contact me? I know it's not you're not supposed to, but come on, you know, and like and and you know, you're you're more kind of invested in this than you are in the person that knows you the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're letting, yeah, yeah, I get that. And then so Joel mentions that he wants a moment with family and then Tommy reveals that he and Maria are married um, so that she is family. And then Ellie goes, oh, shit, congrats. And then uh, you can see like Joel is very surprised by this. Uh, And then Ellie goes, fucking say congrats, man. And then he's like, congrats. And like just in the classic like joel like not very thrilled with his brother hiding things from him and his brother not mentioning any of this to him like i they were very close right like we've learned we know about what they did to survive together kind of all this stuff the firefly stuff with um marlene and and everything and basically he uh found this woman and ran off with her essentially and then basically she wasn't happy with what they did together and thought Joel was a bad influence and said like, you know, you can't really contact him if you want to stay here with me basically. So that's what we can infer from all of it. But, um, so we now then go to, uh, Tommy and Maria give Joel and Ellie a tour of Jackson. Um, they describe how they're able to hide. They stay off the radio. They don't really make themselves known. The wall is, gigantic it was already a gated community in some of the in the uh houses that they have in in jackson so they were able to build the wall kind of around that and with that and then how they kind of all live and share uh in this commune that they're living in yeah maria's Uh, on a council of of um that's kind of uh, democratically elected and there's 300 people that all share in uh, the Commonwealth, and and th- there is an interesting moment here where they're kind of walking together, and Tommy and and uh, Joel are kind of side by side in the back, and and Ellie and Maria are, are up front, and when um, Ellie says that, oh, it's like it's like you know, it's it's like communism, and and um, uh, Tommy in this moment kind of has this no, really. Yeah, he's he's like he's kind of like eh, I'm not I'm not into that. It's not really it's not really. And then Maria's like it is basically. And it's I think that that is an interesting little moment of like Tommy maybe doesn't always think things through when he's doing them. And even though this is probably a, a, the best place for him, it's still like he maybe didn't like it. It didn't sink in that this is like a well, communist like society. Texan Texan Republican kind of 
you know, background maybe. Like, you know, later in this episode, we kind of get Joel's political background as well, where he's kind of more of a moderate or or in between kind of thing, independent, I guess, Um, where he doesn't say he necessarily leans left or right or believes in, you know, capitalism or he says there's two sides where someone wants to own everything or, or people want to own everything or people don't want anyone to own anything. So, um, he kind of says like he doesn't really care about either side, but I think in this moment you can tell they've had conversations probably about communism and that classic, especially in 2003 and, and beforehand of like, especially in Texas <laughs> of all places. Yeah. Like um, I love that little re- 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 interaction is because, you know, in this thing, yes, communism makes the most sense. That's how you're going to survive and, and, and get by and, that's probably the ideal way of living in this world right now, right? Is how what they're doing. Um, and I think that Texan Republican kind of probably background, um, they're not saying that they were Republicans, but that's what that state usually leans. It's right? a red state. And, yeah. Yeah, a red state. So, like, you know, how communism was probably perceived by Joel and Tommy. Well, socialism um, too, right? right? Like that's that's socialism, the big word. Right? Like the the S word is like even now, like you know, the generation of, of, you know, people that are millennials and, and Gen Z, like, you know, looking at candidates like Bernie Sanders. And obviously like that had um, ramifications with the whole Bernie bros thing, but like the idea of like, you know, socialism being a very European thing or being something that doesn't really exist in uh, America. It's a very black and white kind of system politically it's either you're on this side or on this this other side there's no other party there's no other group where like being canadian um you know we have um liberals conservatives ndp green party a, a number of independent parties for better or worse um and so you know like it's 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 just interesting like thinking about like how kind of straight laced america is and even with the breakdown of society, there still is that kind of feuding between, you know, the, the, the Fedra, which is kind of what Joel is mentioning, you know, like being the, the kind of almost the, the extremist version of a Republican of, you know, wanting to own everything or wanting to maintain a kind of um, capitalism. And then the people that believe in, you know, owning nothing and, and kind of being completely free in that kind of extremist quality of, you know, uh, the fireflies. And then you have this commune, which kind of feels like a weird middle ground between the two where the ownership is for everybody, but at the same time, it's not, you know, necessarily, um, you know, completely they still have rules about you can't have guns they're still a democratic leadership they said like that kind of like runs things and things like that where it is commune and and stuff like that and i love that again that line nah not like that like he doesn't even want to admit that it is (laughs) like that and then joel's just look at him is perfect so yeah um it's just you know what do you do to survive and seeing all the ways people survive and try to survive and the different ways people do i think is really interesting um love that moment uh there's a great joke about the sheep that ellie makes to joel as they pass them um basically tommy and maria say that they'll put them in a house across the street from them there's an empty house across from them so that's where they can stay 
Um, Maria then says she'll take Ellie around if Tommy and Joel want some like private time. So we then cut to Tommy takes Joel to a bar. So they still have a working bar in Jackson um, where it seems like help yourself. Just don't go overboard. So uh, they go and share a glass of whiskey. I love using the old ice block and having to use an ice pick to get a piece of ice out. Um, Well, it seems they have uh, electricity, so they probably could just have ice in freezers. But like, I still love that they're because it's the winter. They're just using a big slab of ice that they just chip off, which is, uh, I love that. Um, Tommy asks Joel about Tess. Joel lies and says she's doing all right. Um, he also lies when Tommy asks about Ellie, says that she's a daughter of like a big wig firefly, like a high up firefly. And that's why he has to take her, uh, to the fireflies and, and Tommy, you can tell doesn't believe him, but then Joel says like, oh, there's a reward, which is why I'm doing it. So he kind of like goes, okay, that's why you're doing this. So Joel asks about the fireflies. Uh, Tommy says that they're at the University of Colorado, but the trip is really fucked, like tons of infected and raiders on the way there. Um, Joel makes a comment, which we didn't mention about Tommy's uh, bullshit comment about shooting infected from a half mile away with his new scoped out like rifle or whatever um, when he first met him. Uh, So he kind of calls bullshit on that. Um, And then Joel reveals that he's like pissed. It seemed like Maria made him stay off the radio and not talk to his brother Um, being like, you could have fucking told me, man. Like, it's just like, I understand that your wife's telling you not to, um, but I'm your, I'm your family. I'm your brother. Um, Like you should have somehow told me whether to come here or that that's what you were doing. Right. So like, um, like, trust me, like, I know you're not supposed to reveal this to everyone that you're here because you don't want people that he's like, but you can, I'm not going to fucking tell anyone. So I think that's an interesting, uh, back and forth. I keep saying interesting. It's a great back and forth between them. Sorry. I keep reusing words. Um, I love, um, they bring up the com like they have a combo, about the horrible things they did to survive, um, basically. And then at this moment, uh, Tommy reveals that Maria is pregnant and that he has to be more careful. Like he can't go out and on this journey with Joel and Ellie to Colorado to take her there because like Maria's pregnant and, and he's going to be a father, um, which is not in the games at all, which I think should be very interesting moving forward. Um, cause that's definitely not a thing in the game or even part two. So I'm, uh, I'm intrigued to see where that goes. Absolutely. Um, and then there's a great line from Tommy who says, I feel like I'll be a great dad. And then Joel's response is, I guess we'll find out. Ooh, oh, ooh man. <laughs> but there's a lot man. of, there's a lot of tension in this scene and you feel the bathroom, keep talking. You feel those moments of both the, the love of, of, you know, brothers or or siblings have for each other but then also you know i think that there is that kind of wedge or kind of defiant quality sometimes of you know if you have somebody that butts heads with you especially when it's somebody that's familial you know there's there's that kind of quality of of saying what you mean but in a cruel way that you know you're 
family member will forgive you for because ultimately you know that if you were to say it to a stranger or, or even just a best friend that those people can just walk away from you afterwards or cut ties where you know if you say something that's kind of nasty or 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 kind of you know a little bit strong there is a sense of like oh you know this person will eventually forgive me for what i've done and you know there's that kind of um that feeling there of this kind of like what's being said isn't completely untrue, but there's also something of like, you know, Joel still hasn't really dealt with Sarah's loss and seeing his brother now kind of put his life together in a way that feels like he doesn't need Joel anymore. And he's kind of putting Joel to the side. There's something about that. This whole episode is kind of, talking about where you kind of feel like you're inadequate that you're not you're no like you're no longer of value and you're basically spiraling into you know a a form of just i'm I'm trying to find the word for it but like just you you feel completely inadequate as a person but you're also just you know that you're no longer you're, you were just a thing, like you were just a tool for somebody and you no longer have your own life anymore. Your value diminishes over time. And it just kind of feels mm-hmm. like maybe Joel's processing all of this as well. And so the meanness of that line really does echo in Tommy. And it kind of is like, well, that's a fine how you do, you know, kind of thing. So. Yeah, Tommy says that's all you have to say. And he goes, just because life stopped for you doesn't mean it has to stop for me, Um, which I think cuts pretty deep for Joel. Um, And again, it shows you that, yeah, there are some people in this world who have not necessarily moved on, but like, you know, sort of like he... Tommy's in Jackson. He's trying to have a normal life. Like he's going to have a kid, which you could say is irresponsible in a world like this. But like because of what he has and he found someone he loves like and he wants to try to have a good world for for at least the best world that you could possibly have um like it's just very i agree with what your points too eric that you can say really mean shit to your family because you feel like you can either get away with it or sometimes you take things out on your family because you wouldn't act that way to a stranger but you feel comfortable enough to just say shit like whether it's to your wife or your parents or whatever we've all been there like i i have for sure and i've had to apologize many times for dumb shit i've said but like just because it's part truth part you just you're angry at someone so you just say something that you don't even mean but you just like because they're your family again you think you can get away with it or you just feel like it'll be fine later but joel angrily storms off um says they'll leave in the morning and they'll get out of tommy's hair Um, as he leaves the bar, he kind of has another one of those anxiety attacks, um, where, especially cause he sees a young girl who's out at like a, is it like a Christmas tree kind of lighting ceremony kind of thing or yeah, who kind of is supposed to be an image of Sarah, right? Yeah. From the, from behind, she looks exactly like his daughter. Yeah. And with that as well, like, I mean, that's, that's another thing that I think that is a little bit cliched of that. Yeah television thing but even in movies where it's like somebody sees somebody else and for a moment they think it's the person that you know whether they've lost them um yeah you know in life or they've just kind of moved on that they're thinking oh they're back and it's really not them but i do appreciate that 
a lot of movies and shows would have had him like Go running to her or yeah and like oh, being yeah. like sarah and then turning around yeah. and being like it's not her and then the mom or the parent comes it's in like, what are you doing like, yeah weirdo you know yeah so it's 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 less cliched in that sense but it still is that kind of like typical you know movie television trope of having sort of a a, a bit of crisis of character yeah I agree with you completely there. Um, so we cut to a girl's be- bedroom where Ellie has just finished taking a shower. Maria has left her some clothing and a note that she is across the street. Um, she also leaves her a diva cup with instructions, which I think is, you know, the the uh, menstruation representation in this show, I think, has been. No, I'm talking as a man. It's not my place. But like showing Ellie finding, you know, tampons in the, the gas station way Pearl, back. Yeah. And, the, and being like, fuck yeah. Like that's a pro, like something that you don't really you have to kind of scrounge for and there's probably not much of and her being a young woman as well. I think it's also to show uh, Maria giving her the very practical thing in this time being a diva cup, I think is um, again, something you don't see on TV that much, I guess maybe, I don't know, especially in a show like this um, just that little moment of going, Oh yeah, that would be like the practical thing you would do. And it, that is something she would give uh, this young woman, if they had access to that in Jackson. So um, I like Ellie reading the instructions for it, kind of going how she's supposed to be using it. And it goes gross. And then like, moves <laughs> on. Like, uh, I think it's, you know, it, it, I think a fantastic little moment. Um, Ellie changes, goes across the street. She puts on the classic hoodie that if you've played the games, you've seen uh, the, again, the costuming very on point. We see Joel in his winter outfit um, in this episode as well which is straight from last of us part two as well so they're kind of again bringing things up and making everything mesh really uh cleanly um so uh ellie goes across the street no one answers the door ellie goes inside um she starts exploring the house uh she sees a memorial over the fireplace with two children's names uh kevin and sarah um, skinnamarink reference Oh, are those the two kids' names? No, 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 no. It's it's Kevin and uh, Kaylee. I just thought Kevin was funny. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, So Kevin, um, being a young boy who uh, was three years old when he died, um, being born on April third, two thousand, and passing away on September twenty ninth, two thousand three. And then you have Sarah, which is clearly Joel's daughter, who was born uh on july 20th um is it july no january february march april may june yeah july i nailed it (laughs) july 20th uh july 20th 1989 so something i mentioned in the first episode when we covered it going i think sarah would have been about the same age as me and it seems like she was also born in 1989 so i think that's why that whole 2003 segment especially from sarah's perspective kind of landed especially you're a year older than me eric you're in 88 but yeah i'll be dead first I think, um i think that's why that kind of whole sequence uh landed so anyway she uh that's why her, it didn't land with me either i just you're a year older yeah, I'm, too, I'm too far gone from your generation <laughs> yeah. anyway so a uh, memorial for their their basically time of living uh maria comes back gives ellie a winter jacket ellie makes a comment it's super fucking purple Eggplant. Um, yeah maria wants to give ellie a haircut 
gives her a haircut. They have a conversation. Maria reveals that she was used to be an assistant district attorney, explains to Ellie what that is of putting bad guys in jail. In um, Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. Um, and Maria chats about her son, Kevin, and then reveals to Ellie that Sarah was not her other child. It was actually Joel's daughter. So you can tell Ellie is clearly surprised by this news, but then maybe not surprised at the same time, but then seemingly disappointed that Joel never mentioned this to her. And it probably explains a lot of how Joel has been acting towards her uh, throughout this entire journey. Um, Maria, great acting from Bella Ramsey here as well. But uh, Maria then makes a comment about all the bad things Joel's done and then basically being like, you know, you shouldn't be with this guy kind of thing uh, of going on this journey. And then Ellie goes, I know what he did. They murdered innocent people. Um, basically, Maria kind of saying like, maybe you shouldn't, you know, be trusting this guy or being with this guy. And then Ellie defends Joel by saying Tommy also did bad things. Um, if she's worried about him and asks if she's worried about Tommy. Maria then says Tommy was following Joel just like Ellie is. Ellie that then says maybe she's smarter than Tommy. Great comeback. <laughs> um, and then Maria says be careful and that the only people who can betray us are the ones that we trust. Great line, I think. Yep. Um, and one to take note of. Uh, Maria takes Ellie to the community center as everyone is gathered and they're watching the goodbye girl. Um, which won Richard Dreyfus, uh, his Oscar for best actor. And a few years later, you can look this up on YouTube when he was presenting, not, I don't think it was the year after, but it was a couple years later. I think it was like the early eighties. Um, high on cocaine, really, really oh. funny, uh, presentation where he is out of his goddamn mind. Fun. Uh, why do you think they chose this movie? Do you think it's just someone maybe, liked maybe, it? Like, maybe the, it's Warner the, Brothers. I know that. So yeah, yeah, and it's a Neil Simon adaptation. I mean, maybe the 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 the, the dynamic between a mother daughter who bring somebody else into their life and kind of create a blended family. Maybe there's something there. Um, it's. I've only seen it once and it was a really long time ago. It was around like when I was obsessed with Jaws and I was watching everything that Roy Scheider, Richard, Richard Dreyfuss yeah. and Robert Shaw yeah. were in. And so this, that was the film that won him his Oscar. And like, it's just interesting thinking like how kind of smaltzy that movie is. Um, a lot of Neil Simon stuff is, but um, yeah, like it's kind of like a very traditional, like, you know, this actor comes in and moves in with this, uh, you know, single mom and, and her, you know, precocious child and, you know, slowly but surely they become a family. They become a real family. Um, so I'm not really sure. Have I, we it's... confirmed that the goodbye girl was available on DVD in 2003 because uh... that's a good question, Matt. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I think, I think it, I think it was, um, I think it's now available on Blu-ray as well. Not that they there would go. know what Blu-ray is because by the plug, time 2006 yeah. uh, happened. But I mean, it's not a movie worth recommending either because it's, sure. it's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. All right. Uh, Ellie looks around the, the community center. Um, she sees Tommy there as well, but Tommy's leaving. So then we cut to Joel trying to fix his boot at a cobbler shop, it seems. Um, like Adam Tommy Sandler then, in The Cobbler. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what a movie that is. 
That's what they should have been watching. Been watching. <laughs> somehow, <laughs> they somehow in this universe, the cobbler was made in 2002. Or hear um, me out. They're watching old episodes of the red green show that's taped. Yeah, that they should have. Uh, we cut to Joel trying to fix his boot. Oh, I already said that. Uh, Tommy comes in, gives Joel a new pair of boots. Uh, Tommy apologizes to Joel. Uh, I don't know. Again, this is a very younger brother, older brother thing. Joel was kind of being a dick. And then Tommy comes in as the first to apologize. <laughs> and you're like, all right, Tommy, yep. like I get, I get it. But like you didn't, you shouldn't have been the first one to apologize here. Like I get on both sides. Maybe you both weren't again. Usually that's how apologies go. Someone apologizes. Then both people apologize. Uh, well, sometimes the bigger person has to extend the olive branch. Right. And some, and sometimes it is, it is a younger sibling you know like it's not necessarily the older brother or sister whoever that's kind of you know that's looked up to it's it's sometimes that one and like even him saying it's like oh like you know apologizing and then say like am i off the hook now it's like it's a really nice gesture because it's it's like it's opening up joel to not only apologize but maybe to get the truth out of him and it's not it's not a it's not an interrogative tactic per se, but it's kind of like, I, I kind of really want to know what's going on because I, I think in the bar scene before Tommy probably knew that there was a lot more going on that Joel isn't, you know, being forthcoming with. And it's like, basically like, you know, pulling teeth. And so with that, you have to consider, you know, the best way to approach it, which is kind of being, very um vulnerable and open to that because again you know joel's not great with sharing his emotions right away but this this is the scene that i think really is pedro pascal's best moment of the series in terms of him breaking down and kind of basically summing up how he feels as a person and how he feels again inadequate and and kind of broken um, yeah it it, it weirdly reminded me of the way like DiCaprio Leonardo DiCaprio was describing the character in the book that he was reading on set of of uh, that one western for once upon a time in Hollywood where you know he's not the same as he once was and that he's gonna have to live with that but also you know the, the 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 feeling of mortality but also just feeling failure well, your your body failing you, and I think yeah. like the idea of the frustration. I think it's of- not just your body too, but what he's done and what he hasn't been able to do. And he says, "I've been failing her since she, you know, that moment essentially." Yeah. But also his body failing him too. I just well, think and being autonomous. Funny. I think like there's yeah. there's a part of you that like when you get older or or when you are you know closer to the end of your life, even that you know your your independence feels like it's being taken away from you because you know whether you're you're your bodily functions kind of, you know, stop or you just aren't able to move anymore and, you know, you're bedridden or you're just, again, like those small things, they might be livable, but they begin to take that toll on Joel. And so with that, you really do see this character struggling to compensate and keep up the front of that stoic gunslinger who comes into town and cleans everything up yeah he even talks about like how five years ago he would have been able to destroy these people but he's just kind of been broken down the last five years so yeah we kind of summed up this conversation but um you know joel asked tommy if the ride to the university is a suicide mission tommy says it's doable and then joel reveals that ellie is immune to tommy 
Tommy looks terrified in this moment, but Joel assures him that he knows this is true. He's seen it with his own eyes. So Tommy sits down and says, from the beginning, this is when Joel recaps basically the events of the show so far to Tommy. But then this is that conversation that Eric just wonderfully brought up where Joel says that he's too slow and too deaf and he's not like how he used to be. He's getting old and he can't act in situations because he's so afraid. Um, so his fear kind of manifests as this, this anxiety and these anxiety attacks. And it's why he can't act in these certain situations. He's also having horrible dreams uh, where he's always failing and he loses something. Um, Joel just talks about how he keeps on failing and he doesn't believe that he can finish the job. He's just going to get Ellie killed. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. I think the best moment from Pedro Pascal so far, um, just a wonderfully acted moment. Uh, again, a more vulnerable Joel, like we don't get this in the game. He's, he's even more stoic in the game in the sense where he's, you know, very fatherly to Ellie, obviously cares about her, but we don't get a moment like this in the game. And I think those are the additions throughout the TV show and having, I'm not, uh, Troy Baker's a great actor too. And his, his um, version of Joel is iconic and will forever be Joel for me. But like Pedro Pascal in this moment, I think just, again, they're just trying to give a little bit more depth even to Joel and uh, not saying that he was even one note in the game or anything, but um, a very emotional moment that we don't get in the game. There are emotional moments, but this moment between the brothers, unless I'm forgetting again, but it just, this felt different. Um, yeah. And also I think there's an important moment here as well that we missed just slightly. That's, it's just a small one that Ellie leaves the screening of the, the movie and of the movie. And yeah, this, this is another moment that I really thought was interesting because it's just a small, subtle thing, but it's like, her outside and there's no one else around and it's basically you know a ghost town and all you hear is the wind the 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 winter wind and just the coldness of her walking in the snow and it's her walking you know her face her back towards the camera and her walking you know away and i feel like that is such a an interesting shot for this and and there's not a lot that this i i could compare this director who made one of the most compelling movies in the last five or six years called Cuvatus uh, Ida. And it's that film deals with uh, the Srebrenica massacre and that conflict. The only kind of thing I can, I can kind of take away from in just a general consensus is that both movies for the most part, take it, take place in a single location. There's a factory in that film where, um, you know, a group of people are basically waiting to see if the UN will intervene and help them from this Serbian uh, general and the army that's trying to take away or separate the men from the women and where that goes. And this interpreter who's kind of put in the middle of it, who's working for the UN, but her family's also threatened. And just the idea of being in this kind of single location and the tension that mounts within, you know, the the the, the moment. But in terms of just the 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 filmmaker's own style or 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 signature coming through i don't think there's really a lot there which i think is kind of interesting where it's like it's just feels like a work for hire but not in a bad way like it's it's a well done episode and and that little moment there does feel weirdly More like yeah a, a little there's there's there again it's just a small throwaway kind of thing but it just feels like okay 
you don't need a scene with this character you know going to the, hearing the, it and yeah like and yeah you, you interpret yeah. it through that moment and that that's yes, enough exactly. that's know? what the show is so good at i think like there are the moments where we'll say okay the villain pointing the gun or seeing his daughter's back of her head kind of thing like there are those cliche kind of tv filmmaking moments but then for every one of those there's 10 of these more subtle moments where you can kind of infer what happens and yes they give it to you later but they still insert those sequences to kind of you you should still be able to follow what's happening or where ellie is going in those moments and they're quieter and more subtle so yeah i agree with you there um joel then begs tommy to take ellie says he cannot tell anyone not even maria basically says like you're younger than me you can do this i can't do this joel is basically giving up in this moment because he, he obviously does care about ellie but he doesn't believe in himself to be able to follow through he probably regrets all the horrible things he did during you know since his daughter died he probably uh is living it's again living that moment over and over again in his head where he failed his daughter like he was trying to save her in that moment and he believes he got her killed or couldn't save her right so like i think all of that just comes back and that's where that anxiety is where the show does such a good job of just hammering that home of like no matter what he does he's so um almost crippled by that moment where he's just like he can't act because he's his anxiety and fear of that moment um uh he can't move so like i think that you know him just giving up and saying tommy is him caring about ellie but he just doesn't believe in himself it's a confidence thing more than anything and he knows his body's breaking down too and he's not who he used to be but i think it's more the confidence thing because we've seen joel handle himself over and over again yes he gets beat up yes he's sore but like i think a confidence in joel he could still do those things he's talking about it's just there's a fear there well it's um, the fear of losing something that you care about someone. right yeah like, exactly the idea that, that that it's what bill was talking about where bill was never afraid until frank came you into the up. picture because yeah. it was all about bill just surviving and he didn't have to worry about anybody else right. so but joel himself. didn't experience these anxiety attacks until he had ellie right yeah because he's starting to care about ellie as you know, a surrogate daughter and as a person, and he doesn't want to let her down and he wants to get her to what, you know, he feels is the right place. And, you know, he wants to make sure that, you know, she, she has the, the, the fighting chance to get there. And he doesn't feel like he's at, you know, at a place where he can protect her now because his defenses are starting to diminish. And, you know, his age is kind of catching up with him a little bit, but there's that form yeah. of, of like, you become more mindful or hyper aware of who you are as a person when you're protecting somebody or you care about something. And it's more disappointing or upsetting when something goes wrong, not only for yourself, but for the person that you're with or the person that you're, you know, cheering on or helping. So it's, yeah, it's, it's Absolutely. a, it's a really good scene. So, yeah. Um, then we get another great scene coming up because Joel then returns or Tommy, Tommy, uh, basically agrees that he'll, he'll take, uh, take her. So then yeah. Tommy, um, then returns to the movie. Maria looks at him. He doesn't go up to her. She kind of knows something's up. It seems like, uh, Joel returns to the home where Tommy put them up. He goes up to Ellie's bedroom. 
Uh, he knocks on the door and enters. Ellie's reading a young girl's diary, and she says she thinks it's bizarre that such trivial things are all that they needed to worry about. She mentions boys and movies and clothing and stuff like that, and like that's the things that were causing these teenagers' anxiety in 2003 and stuff like that, and it's so bizarre to Ellie. Um, basically, Ellie seems very annoyed and says that Joel, and disappointed and upset, and says Joel is just going to ditch her. Uh, we now know that Ellie heard Joel's combo with Tommy because Joel asks, how much did you hear? And she just says the bit about him ditching her. Um, Joel tries to explain that she'll be better off with Tommy. And it's because he, you know, essentially because he cares about her, which is why he's trying to get Tommy to take her. Um, but Ellie's upset and makes a comment that she is not Joel's daughter. And like we've mentioned before, anytime someone brings up Sarah, Joel kind of, immediately shuts down or gets upset like he hates when people talk about sarah yeah. um so he goes do not say another word and then ellie apologizes about his daughter but says that she has lost people too and then you have the iconic line you have no idea what loss is joel replies to ellie which then ellie says like basically like everyone she has ever cared about has either left her or died everyone except him and that she would just be scared if she was with someone else and then joel again upset about the comment about his daughter and this whole conversation goes you're right you're not my daughter and i sure as hell ain't your dad and then he's like come dawn we're going our separate ways and is that classic kind of moment of like you know you're better off just like even if this person is going to be upset at you you believe you this needs to happen so you'll do anything necessary to just convince that other person to go and do the thing that they don't want to do so even pushing them away to the point of ellie being very upset joel still believes he still cares about her in this moment but he's upset and also knows if i just say get away from me i don't have to deal with this anymore it's still ellie will get to where she needs to go and will you know help the fireflies get the cure but he needs to push her away because he knows that she's even getting attached to him um joel then slams the door goes to his bedroom uh he sits in the darkness and he has kind of flashes of now we connect the dots with the woman the the young girl at the christmas lighting ceremony because he has memories of christmases with his daughter sarah and we see some sh shots from the first episode of the show um we then cut to the next morning where Ellie is all packed and ready to go. Tommy arrives. He mentions that they're going to the stables. Um, when Tommy and Ellie get to the stables, Joel is there and he is prepping a horse. And then Ellie goes, did you come here to say goodbye? And Joel says he's there to steal a horse and leave. And he doesn't want to leave. In my notes, I was like, he obviously doesn't want to leave or fail Ellie because of the conversation they had the night before. Um, he gives Ellie a choice that he can, she can either come with him or go with Tommy. He says he still thinks that she's better off with Tommy and she immediately chooses, chooses to go with Joel. Just immediately is, no hesitation. This is also, I think really important to remember is that there's a choice being presented to Ellie in this in this scene that might come back later on. So these moments, I think, again, like are really interesting where it's like you, you give, you know, this idea of, okay, we're presenting 
you know, a, a, a dilemma or a situation now and how it plays out in one moment, it might not necessarily play out the same way, uh, you know, <laughs> when it comes up again. And the idea of having the freedom of choice. Absolutely. Um, so Tommy then gives Joel some directions. They hug and they say their goodbyes. Uh, Tommy says there's a place in Jackson for both of them. Um, Joel makes a funny comment about Maria taking his gun and if he can borrow Tommy's and, and Tommy's like, yeah. And then he's like, I, I, I already said, yeah, you can borrow my gun. Cause like he makes kind of a smart ass comment about Maria taking it. Um, Joel and Ellie leave Jackson on horseback. Um, basically we flash forward. Joel's teaching Ellie how to shoot the rifle. There's a fun back and forth where Ellie thinks the rifle's broken or the aiming's broken. Uh, Joel then hits a target dead on. She's like, you dick. And then you see them pass it. It says asshole. And he hit it square in the center. So again, but not in, not that, in the uh, hole though, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. Which is funny. Um, but again, I think even that showing you that like, it's a confidence thing. Like Joel does have the abilities still. It's just like, it's even him with the sniper rifle earlier when he kept missing or having to shoot or the gun got jammed. Like, I think it, he's, he's getting his confidence back because Ellie kind of believes in him and wants to be with him and, and says, no, you can do this. And I, you are my protector essentially. And I know you can protect me. And I think even in that moment where it's a casual back and forth, he's teaching her how to shoot. You can just see with the interaction that he has, a little bit more confidence in that moment. Uh, that being said, something happens later where he still gets hurt, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, so montage of them traveling to Colorado again, much like earlier in the episode, these beautiful kind of scenic, uh, imagery as they kind of, uh, go through, uh, Joel talks about how people were before the outbreak. He says he wasn't really let right or left leaning. He kind of did his own thing. Uh, he was Ellie a contractor. About, <laughs> yeah. So Ellie asked him about his job and he's like, Oh, I was a contractor. Um, uh, and they're bonding even more. And Joel's finally opening up, right? Like earlier in the season, he would have told her to stop talking. I'm not telling you anything, but even the way that their candor is and their back and forth is like, um, it's playful. It's fatherly. It's, it's friendly. Like he's sharing more. They make jokes about him being a contractor. He even sees like when Ellie's impressed with, you know, that he was, he builded things and, and, and people must've liked him. And he's like, yeah, people did like contractors. <laughs> like, um, I think it's just a, a wonderful back and forth. They talk about the rules of football. He's teaching her and she kind of pokes fun being like, so it's just trying to move in a straight line or whatever. And he's just like, yeah, kind of. Um, and then basically it's just all of that showing that these are the five days it took them to get to the university university of colorado and then they even make a comment about it being five easy days i will point out this is some people may argue that this is a show about infected or zombies not a single infected in this episode i don't think no not a single one and i think like uh that's something you don't even mention like i just realized that now as we're speaking being like you know advertised to the masses this is a zombie show right I think is even Ben Shapiro came out and fucking did his horrible take on how it's a bad show because it's a zombie show. And like, this is, I'm like, get fucked. It's not a zombie show for one. And two, it's just like, I think it's impressive that you can have this whole episode and you don't need to focus on the infected because that's not what this show is about. They are there. They are a threat. They are around. 
but it's not what this show is about. Um, and there, it's anyway. the least interesting thing about this. Yeah, about I any agree. movie or show that's dealing with whether they're zombies or infected or or some sort of version or variant of that. It's it, that's never the interesting thing about those movies. It's all about the characters and the minutia yeah, the of surviving, you know, like those Absolutely. are the things that, that add the, the setting conflict the, and the dilemma. Those things are at the bottom of what's most interesting. Yeah. I can have a fun action set piece or a, or a thrilling or scary set piece, but like really you're not going to get a deep episode. You might get a deep episode about people who get infected and, and, and the slow thing of them turning and, and stuff like that, but that's not really what the show's about. No. Um, and, I agree with you. It's like a, if you're listing things that are interesting about the show, that's pretty far down. Okay, we're almost done. My throat, my <laughs> my voice is going. Um, Drink some tea, Matt. Drink some tea. <laughs> they made it in five days, five easy days. Uh, the mascot five easy for the pieces. Universe, um, the the mascot for the University of Colorado is a bighorn. Uh, Ellie asks what a bighorn is, and and Joel goes, "It's kind of like a big sheep." And I was like, "Oh, well, one step closer to your dream." Um, again, love the back and forth between them. Now, um, the university looks very empty. Uh, Ellie asks a question about university. Um, Joel kind of talks about that. You know, she's like, "Were people adults when they went here and went to?" Class? And he's like, "Kind of. You were more so just learning about yourself and partying and and trying to understand what you wanted to do when you kind of uh, for a living." Or, or and then Ellie goes, "What you wanted to do for a living?" And then she kind of asked Joel some questions joel reveals that he wanted to be a singer when he was younger um and then she kind of laughs at that and says that she wants joel to sing her a song after uh, she saves the world this episode does more planting the seeds for part two than any other episode in the series like there's so many things in this episode that are referencing things or showing things earlier from part two um that i think is uh, you can just, I guess it's like, oh, if we could go back and change part one because we have the context of part two, maybe they would have inserted these things. This conversation, I think, also does happen regularly in part one, but in my head, I just sometimes I don't even put them together until I hear it. And then I go, oh shit, they did plant these seeds. And, you know, that obviously Joel's love of music and, and, and stuff like that is, is a big part of it and him singing, uh, which sounds weird now. Not a spoiler. You'll get there. Um, they uh they see some monkeys in the wild that are broken loose from the labs at the university. So you see some monkeys running through the kind of courtyard of the university. Uh, Ellie's never seen a monkey in in real life before. Um, they notice a firefly logo on the biomedical labs sign. Um, Nevis got back from her wonderful workout. I'm assuming she gives she gives a big peace sign um firefly logo um there are no guards or people outside the firefly building ellie and joel enter with their guns drawn uh the building's deserted and it looks like there were doctors there but they packed up and left there's a packing note of things they need supplies they needed before they left um so uh joel and ellie hear a noise upstairs they enter a room uh where some monkey business is going on is what i wrote down <laughs> <laughs> it's a monkey mon bones uh, so again, this was nice to see again yeah. because the first time we watched it it was not finished so the the, the, the effects were a little rough, rough. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, but it was great. Uh, now that it was done, uh, the, the effects were done. So it, which is a moment straight from the game. It's a little bit of a jump scare. You think it's going to be infected. You think it might be a raider, uh, or one of the fireflies, but it ends up just being a couple monkeys monkeying around. Um, so they Gordy did, uh, from oh, nope. they, <laughs> yeah um they look at a map and there are a bunch of pins on the map and all the pins are leading to salt lake city utah so that must be where the fireflies have gone um they hear voices outside and they look outside and see some raiders uh joel says they need to sneak out the back of the building they do they get to the horse but a man attacks them with a baseball bat he breaks the bat on a tree and then Joel grabs the man and puts him in a headlock and ultimately snaps his neck. Um, after he kills the man, he drops his body. And then Ellie kind of, again, great acting from Bella Ramsey, looks at Joel and he has been shanked with the broken side of the baseball bat. So he's been stabbed in his abdomen, kind of on the left to right side, um, but basically stabbed in the abdomen with this baseball bat. Um, Ellie you know, panics, but gets Joel on the horse. Joel probably shouldn't have pulled out that baseball uh, uh, bat. He probably should have left it in. If I've learned something is never pull out. Um, <laughs> and um, so he should have left it in because uh, then you're going to bleed out. You're going to bleed out, right? So um, they escape. Ellie puts him on the horse. They escape. Um, and then basically they get away. Ellie says they haven't, they're not tracking them. Joel's kind of hunched over on the horse. Uh, he collapses, um, falls off the horse. Uh, Ellie jumps off, um, basically in a panic, saying that she can't do this without him. She has no idea where the fuck to go. She has no idea what the fuck to do. Um, and just repeats, Joel, please, over and over again um, as the camera kind of pans out. And it does look like Joel uh, you know, is dead um, in this moment. So and that's the cliffhanger the episode leaves us on. I couldn't get the name of the song. Did you for the credits? Well, it's I... it's a cover of Never Let Me Go Again. Okay. Or, no, Thank yeah, you. and and but I couldn't find the artist's name because yes, I, that's I tried to Shazam is. it like four times. So did I, and it gave me a and different song every time. Ho- Hosier or Hoser or Hosier or whoever came up once, and I was like, this is not that song. It's just Dude, a cover. It gave of me the like Depeche a song, song from like a, an anime. Um, uh, okay, so it's ne- it's the Depeche Mode song "Never Let Me Go Again." And then- yeah, but it's a cover. Okay, cool. Thank you. Because um, because taking a ride with my best friend. First- that's not the song from the first episode, right? No, that it was- is, but it's it, but it's Depeche Mode's Depeche Mode's version was in the right. First. This okay, is a so cover. it's the same song, but it's a cover. But it's a cover. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. It's like it's True just, Faith. I, True Faith is a cover me. as yeah. well. So yeah, yeah, I got that that but i didn't even realize that it was the same song um yeah until now thank you um yes so this moment to finish things up um happens in the game it happens a little differently in the game where uh joel falls off of a um basically a second story of the university and impales himself um which maybe is a little bit too extreme for the show and <laughs> and like not even like extreme and too violent but extreme of like he probably wouldn't survive that where maybe a stabbing there's more like is he dead is he not where in i remember in the game like the first time i played it i'm like joel's 
there's no way he could survive that because the effects off, work like, might have been dodgy too right if they yeah, if they yeah. did it in uh you know in camera i think they probably have to do so, a lot of post they definitely changed that um for this but i think it works how they did it and they've condensed the the school part down but um or the university part down but um another kind of cliffhanger that could be like heartbreaking and 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 you know every week it leaves you not necessarily feeling super great like even though this episode probably had the most moments of levity and like kind of was like mostly chill it had dramatic moments but like they went to Jackson they're in the town yes it had some familial kind of drama and stuff like that but like ultimately nothing horrific happens but then your main character gets stabbed at the end and looks like he's dead right so yeah it's um you need graham green and uh elaine miles to come back and like joke up a, a storm again or something like it's like no yeah. don't leave me there and it's especially like it's one of those endings where again you know we've seen it so we we know where things are going so you know, there's not that that sense of maybe that I could I could see a little bit of frustration with people watching this episode and kind of being like, oh, it's another episode where I kind of have to wait and find out what happens next week. And especially with a character TV that loves a cliffhanger, man. Yeah, well, especially with a character that is 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 central to this storyline, but also knowing the reputation that HBO has had with Game of Thrones and thinking to yourself, okay, well, like, am I am I too attached to Joel? Do I need to do I need to yeah. not be attached to him? I don't know how this is going to play out. So there's a lot of those kind of questions as well, where it's it's like, oh, are they going to pull like something you know in this in this last you know, few episodes, but yeah, it, it's just, there's a lot to take in. And like for every, you know, again, like I mentioned it for every small vic in the, in the last episode, for every small victory, there's an even greater loss or like an even greater yeah. defeat. And it's just like, there's, there's no real moments. Like every good moment, it, there's just something that's even worse, you know, it's <laughs> oh, not yeah. enough. There's not enough time to really take in the happiness and you kind of have to just keep, going and or, or disconnect in a weird way i think that's kind of what joel has done for so long because he doesn't want to have those connections because it will make him feel like he needs to protect the person to help the person to be responsible for somebody else and also to care for somebody and that's that's a lot to put on somebody in this kind of environment and then another again we didn't we didn't mention the actor's name, but um, Maria is played by um, Retina uh, Wellesley, who is probably best known for being in True Blood. And it's just interesting, again, where you're getting a lot of HBO, HBO. actors yeah. coming in and doing these, you know, guest starring roles or supporting parts. Um, She's great, know, with, too. With yeah. Murray Bartlett as well, you know, um, popping up. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because the True Blood thing, it's like. I mean, obviously, Anna Paquin was already kind of a name when that show started and already was an Oscar winner and things like that. But it's it's interesting that the person that kind of had the biggest breakout from that show uh, was Alexander Skarsgård. Skarsgård, yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it's I interesting because he's True Blood. But... You know, I like the first two seasons. Uh, I thought Nelson Ellis was really, really good on the show. And, and sadly, he passed away a couple of years ago. But um it, it really lost its footing after season two because it was kind of one of those shows that was like pure 
camp and trash, but it was kind of fun. But then the longer it went on, the less involving it was. And it kind of felt like it was really in, not that it kind of went into the walking dead territory, but it was like, we got to be more sensational and bombastic and just abrasive. Mm -hmm. And it was just a turnoff after a while. And that's welcome to the true blood podcast. Everyone. Yeah. So, well, that's the kind of thing where it's like, that's where like, I think a show like that could have been better as a mini series, you know? Well, hopefully this show knows and doesn't overstay its welcome, which it seems like it's not going to. Um, yeah. But we are more than halfway through now. We're two thirds of the way. 66% done the show. We have three more episodes left. Uh, seven, eight, nine. Um, can't wait to talk about them. Thank you all for listening or watching. I'm glad we're back at our regularly scheduled time. I'm thinking we're back. I'm thinking we're back. John Wick 4 trailer. It's going to be three hours long. <laughs> oh, boy. Why? Um, thank you all for listening or watching. Uh, we really, really do appreciate it. We'll be here every Sunday, 10 p.m. Eastern, immediately following the newest episode of The Last of Us. Um, and we will not miss another episode. I can promise you that now. Um, I, we will be here every Sunday, 10 PM. So we really appreciate it. Go check out our other shows, Untitled Movie Podcast. We talked about all the big game spots and trailers. You guys can check that out as well as Super uh, Balls trailer. Um, <laughs> the Super Balls. I love the Super Bowl. Um, and then uh, the Untitled Movie Reviews where we reviewed Ant-Man and the Wasp completely spoiler free. Go check that out. Um, and then we obviously, if you missed last week's, maybe you're just jumping into this, you can go back and listen to our episode five uh, recap review and breakdown of The Last of Us right here on The Cast of Us. Everything on YouTube, everything on podcast services, one stop shop for everything, untitled underscore movies on Letterboxd. And as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at un- untitledmoviepodcast.com. And you can follow me on all those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Marchin. You can find more of my video reviews on rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on all the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. Don't you know you're gonna shock the monkey? Sorry, my voice isn't back yet, but you know. <laughs> I'm thinking his voice isn't back. Bye, everyone. <laughs> I'm thinking Arby.